I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English Lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow Lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. Uh, we're so proud of ourselves. We only talked for like half an hour before we started recording. So we're starting uh, yeah, we're making, off right. Yeah, we're making progress. We actually made it to the episode this time. Like, we still yes. had a fun discussion earlier, but we we really uh, held ourselves on, to a stricter schedule. Yeah, we're on top yeah. of ourselves. So um, we will kind of wrap up our discussion on Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. Really, really, really liked this book. Had a good time talking about it last time, yeah. but I think there's definitely more to say to wrap it up. So uh, if you haven't had a chance, please go read it because we will be talking about everything in the book until there be spoilers. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend reading it. Um, and then, Sadie, why don't you let everyone know what your lovely libation is this evening? Thank you. Yes. So mine is pretty so I felt so bad because the last two episodes I've put like zero episode like zero effort yeah. you're like oh drinks. I'll pour a beer good enough yeah I'll pour beer I'll have a rum and diet coke like I'm oh doing, that was like, my favorite next to nothing basically and Audra is like actually like stopping up the I'm game I'm actually been yeah like she's been stepping really it up. she's been stepping it up so I decided I had to step it up so again I made Brian make my drink um, <laughs> that's the key here. I think I feel like when Brian does it for you, no. you've got these fancy drinks and pretty glassware and yeah. it's just great. And then when it's, you're left to your own devices, yeah. you, you, you don't really put yeah. in effort. Like this is just yet another example of how Brian infinitely makes my life better. Like he yeah. just makes me yeah. great cocktails. Um, so in this, this week I'm having kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a bramble, but it's um, bundled blackberry and raspberry with gin and honey and um, a little bit of Cointreau. Mmm, that it, sounds and delicious. Then, oh, and then it was like muddled and infused a little bit with some thyme and then has a thyme mm. sprig. Nice. Thank very you. Very pretty. Well, it looks very pretty. Uh, I'm, I'll be sure well, to tell Brian because <laughs> really yes. it's his drink. <laughs> it's, he it deserves really all nice. credit. Yeah. Uh, praise for Brian. What have you got? Um, I made like a matcha gin spritz. So nice. I made my matcha paste and then put that in the shaker with some honey and lime juice and gin and then put uh, club soda over it. And it was really good. Or it yeah, is really it looked, good. I'm not it done looked with it really yet. good. It looks yeah. And I really just, good. I really like matcha. Matcha, I've never had it with booze before. I had this when I was in um, Scottsdale for my horse show a couple weeks ago. We went to this yeah. really cool restaurant called Sumo Mayan. because So I picked it because my trainer really likes sushi. And mm-hmm. her husband does not like it at all. And he really likes Mexican food. And she doesn't like Mexican food. And we never she never gets to go out and have sushi. Because uh, her husband doesn't like it, right? And this restaurant was like an Asian-Mexican um, fusion. So they had Ooh. ceviche. They had carne asada, but then they also had sushi. And that's wild. Yeah, and and like we one of the girls ordered like dandan dan noodles. So 
but it was all really, really good. It all worked well together and it was so cool looking, like the whole architecture of the restaurant. And then this cocktail I had was called a matcha, it was called a matcha date, but Mm -hmm. it was vodka, but then there was matcha and I can't remember what else was in it. And they served it in like those really pretty ceramic like tea glasses. Yes. And it was just beautiful, really, really nice. And so that kind of got me on this matcha cocktail kick. And we have a ton of matcha in the house, so it, yeah. it's easy. I need to try something like that. I still have a bunch of matcha um, from when one of my best friends went to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. for He went there for like Christmas or New Year's or something to visit his stepmom. And um, he brought me back for Christmas. Um a bunch of like ceremonial grade matcha that's like yeah. delicious. And mm-hmm. I went through so much of it at the beginning of like COVID when we were still in lockdown. Yeah. And before I started my job, cause I didn't just like, I had no reason really to just be drinking like coffee all day, uh-huh. <laughs> but I still wanted like a little kick and I, but I wanted something yeah. like just a little bit lighter. Um, and easier on my stomach a little bit. And the, yeah, I made matcha lattes for myself like every day. And it's so yeah, good. matcha lattes are lovely. I always have them, I always get ice, make ice ones with coconut milk is my favorite. Ooh. That yeah. sounds delicious. Yeah, matcha is good. Um, it's, a, it's a small pleasure, one could say. For sure. I have a lot of small pleasures. I um, know, I do too. I really like that kind of thinking of the, like it's just such a, with the title being, I mean, and it obviously relates to so much more in the novel, but there really were just such nice little pleasurable parts of of it, yeah. like just the descriptions of, you know, her and her mother's house or, you know, the food. Like just it was all really mm-hmm. nicely done. Um, oh, but before we get into it, because I'm starting to go down that slope, um, <laughs> the next book that we will be doing is called uh, Cassandra at the Wedding by Dorothy Baker. It is a little bit of a challenge to find um, because most places are sold out right now. Like they don't have any copies, but I did manage to find one at my local bookstore. And I, Sadie, I sent you that one from Barnes and Noble. So they did have it, which I just got. Um, So, and, and you can get the Kindle version or the audio book version too. And also like, as always, we support, you know, your library. Okay. Use your your library card. I'm sure that they've got it somewhere. Yeah, so um, really good. So that'll be our next episode, and I think we'll do two on it as well. Um, but we'll probably discuss the whole plot point at the first episode. I think I don't Kinda know. Like I haven't how decided we're doing yet. With these ones, I think so. Um, yeah. yeah, but I haven't totally decided yet. But that's what I think. So you'll have to let me know what you think because you got your copy today, right? Or was it yesterday? Yeah, I got my copy last night, and then. Um I'm going to start it tonight, but it's pretty, it's not very big. It's it's not very big at all. And I was flipping through it. It's like a novelette. Yeah. It's very, um, and it it looks like very readable from. Yeah. The the prose, it's not super challenging prose. It, it is lyrical in some ways, but it's not like super challenging prose. So I think it'll be, yeah, I'm really excited. I finished it yesterday and I'm can't wait to talk about it. Cool. So, yes, go get your copy in one way or another of uh, mm-hmm. Cassandra at the Wedding by Dorothy Baker, because that will be our next book. Um, anything else before we chit-chat about the book? No, I think we can get right back into it. 
Okay. Well, yeah. So like I was saying, I really did. We talked about it just briefly, but I, the settings in this book are so lovely. She does such a good job. I, it just all feels so, um, real, like everything from, you know, her, her office, the newspaper office Mm -hmm. and like I said, their house and Gretchen's food and how she describes, um, Martha's apartment. Like, it, they're just such lovely, detailed descriptions that really focus on those little small things that make it up. You know, it's like it's so nicely detailed, not because she Charles Dickens it, but, right. you know, but she really just picks the things that set the scene for you and make it real and find ways to connect in it. Like, I thought I really liked her descriptions and her prose. I think so, too. And I think um, one thing that we didn't talk about is how every chapter is kind of framed by this um, like little snippet that you're assuming she's publishing in the uh, newspaper or magazine or whatever that she writes for Um, Mm -hmm. because she, she, it's kind of like a, like home economics, like homemaking kind of um, column and it's very short, so every chapter is kind of framed with this. But it's so fun because it kind of, like, is – I liked seeing what happens in the chapter before influ- influence what yes, she writes yeah. about. And I think yeah, like, you, you, you see kind of how, like, her personal life plays into her work in such a subtle way. Um, like, I think it's, like, after um, – she goes out with Howard and um, I think it's when they go to his aunt's house. Oh, yeah. That was such a great scene. Yeah. And then like afterwards, because um, they had left to go to her aunt's house and there's like, I think there's an orchard, if I'm remembering it correctly. Mm-hmm. Apple orchard. They She climbs up trees to pick the apples. Yeah, and then like the next article that she writes is about oh yeah an orchard t- and it's it's like a cake mix you know it's like mm-hmm. a recipe, um, and it's super short but it's just I just think it's such a nice way of like showing what this means to Jean and then like seeing that connection of personal life to work life in such a subtle way because I think yeah. it does translate and I think it is like all connected. And Mm -hmm. um, it's especially connected for Jean because the whole thing that brings her to this family that she has such a deep personal relationship with is her work. And this, um, I don't know, just the way that all of it kind of feeds into each other is, I think, really interesting. But it's so subtle in in the sense that it, it just captures, like, a moment or a hint of what happens in the chapter before to her that yeah. um, I think it also picks up on that idea of, like, a small pleasure and, like, of a moment mm-hmm. being, like, meaningful, even if it's just a small, tiny moment that maybe we don't think of as, think of as being, like, a big deal. I don't know. Like picking yeah, apples no, isn't generally a big deal, but you can see that that moment mattered to her. And I think that is really mm-hmm. interesting. And I think it's true to life in general. Yeah, no, I agree. I really like, I liked those little inserts. I like just, uh, you know, the scenes about Jean's work. I think mm-hmm. she's such a, I really love 
Jean. Like, I love the character. And I like how, especially her, this being in, you know, the 50s in England, like, she just seems so, um, like, just kind of a quiet rebellions that I thought were really nice mm-hmm. and kind of just mm-hmm. how true she was to just think, like, really kind of thinking for herself, Yeah, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, not in the best of situations, and I, I sympathize with her, but, like, really, I just think she was a strong person. I loved, um, I'm trying to think what chapter it was. Uh, chapter 24, it's when she's visiting Martha. I think it's, like, her first visit to Martha. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, you know, or maybe it's not, no, it's not her first visit. It's when she kind of learns about Martha and Gretchen. Oh, gotcha. Being together. Anyway, yeah. and, and she's she's talking about, you know, the fact that Martha and Gretchen are in a romantic relationship, and it says, she hated being aligned with the forces of narrow-mindedness and conservatism, even though that was where mm-hmm. she felt most at home. She had quite admired Martha at their first meeting, and she was intrigued rather than alarmed by lesbianism. As a touchstone, she imagined her mother's opinion and rejected it. She would be disgusted, therefore. Jean chose not to be. But none of this could be said. And I just loved that description of Jean because that's kind of the impression yeah. I got of her. If she, she ha- kind of was aware of her inclinations and judgments and, like, fault lines there. Yeah. And, sh- and doesn't pretend like she doesn't have those judgments, but then also is almost able to be like, well, why do I feel this way? And then what's real? Does that make sense? Like even how she approaches her relationship with Howard, like she knows what is inappropriate or what be- would be considered inappropriate and what would make things challenging. Like the amount of thought she puts into how Margaret would feel mm. is mm-hmm. I think very lovely of her like there's just she's very aware and how things look and her own viewpoints on it but then is kind of tries to look at it from a broader space and see what's what makes sense and what doesn't not just what's the standard or you yeah. know the best thing to do and then and then acts like she always still wants to be aware I think of others and doesn't want to be you know I don't I don't think she thinks she's a loudly rebellious person but I think she's kind of quietly nicely rebellious of like not falling down those traps yeah I feel like she is rebellious but she's not impulsive maybe Mm -hmm. like you know like Mm -hmm. I think that she she has just like anybody like impulsive thoughts and feelings and and like desires maybe but she never acts on those impulses she she thinks about them and she thinks about the consequences even when she's thinking about you know like spending time away from home spending more time with Howard um not being home for an afternoon you know she wants to she acknowledges how much she wants to but then she she also takes the time no matter how much she wants to say yes to think about how that would affect the people around her Mm -hmm. um specifically her mother which I find like to be a really um I kind of a like I mean it's an interesting relationship and there's clearly a lot of love there but it's also like so frustrating Oh um, yeah, to Just see full her of strife. So so much strife and so much pressure, and mm-hmm. and like all of it, all of that pressure is 
from the fact that she is single and doesn't have a family of her own. Like, if she wasn't single, if she had a family, if she had a husband, if she had kids that she needed to care for, like, I don't think all of that pressure would be on her. And you see how, like, she's treated differently because of her Uh single status than her sister. And I think that that is... That's, I mean, that's just really frustrating, and it's something I totally understand and totally get. Like, I have personally – my family is obviously super great, but there have been a lot of instances where I've felt like um, just like I have been treated differently or like the expectations for me have been different because I'm not married. Because you're not married and have children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily that's interesting. bad. Yeah. It's not. No, like, I understand. It's not like ill will. It's not like anybody means anything by it. But um, there's been like a just, yeah, like a, the, the, I've like definitely experienced situations from family. Do you and think from some other of people. it is like you're seen need um, looked at as just obviously being more flexible with your time? Like your time isn't as. Um. Yes. Or just like my own like maybe standards of comfort aren't mm-hmm. as important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, there's the, this, so like, this I don't, like, I saying, don't need a like, bed because I don't have kids. Like, that's kind of like what it is. No, I just saw this like TikTok on Instagram cause I don't have TikTok, but I'll see TikTok videos on Instagram. And it was yep. like, I, I'm not going to say it or relate it in as funny as a way as it was, but the gist of it was showing it was like this big family vacation, right? And they've rented some sort of house and the person making the video was the single sibling and everyone else was married and, or had, had kids. So she's like showing the different bedrooms. So she's like brother number one with wife, like shows this nice room with an in-suite bathroom, brother number two, nice room that opens up onto the deck nice big, you know what I mean? They all have the, like all these nice rooms and then it's theirs. And it's like this little loft room. It's like, this isn't even legally a room. And it was like a, you know, futon mattress on the mm-hmm. floor. And didn't, and it was like, this is where I get put because I'm the single sibling. Like, so it just totally made me think of oh, that. No. Cause I was watching that video. I'm like, Oh, that sucks. Like there's another plus, I guess for me, like I don't have to it's deal with w- that. But 1,000, 1,010% <laughs> true. Like, that's not even like an actual percentage, but like it's true. Okay, when we go to Boston, when we come out and visit you, <laughs> you are hereby, you are getting the best room. You get to pick Oh my first. gosh. <laughs> no, I, okay, but I started this thing, so I will make this rule. So you get first pick of all the rooms. Okay. All right. I'll take it. And first pick of the beds if the beds are in the same room, like if there's two beds. I yes. can't remember first if any pick. of the place. Okay. First pick. You in just general. get first pick. You get first pick. On this trip, you get first pick. Oh my god! I don't think of I've the ever... restaurant options. You will get first pick of the beds <laughs> and bedrooms. First pick. I can't think of what. Like you will just get first pick when whenever there a pick needs to be made. I, wow. I have hereby declared it. I don't think I've ever had that luxury. That's amazing. But you know what's really funny is that like I felt this way when I wasn't even dating anybody, but like. Mm. Even though Brian and I have been together for a long time, it is still that way when everybody's at my mom's house. Like, Brian and I get the couch. And it's it's not that they have, like, an issue with us sleeping in the same bed together. Because if, like, if the beds are free, <laughs> then, like, we still get a bedroom. 
But like, if there are other couples that need a bed, they get the bed, and Brian and I get the couch. And it's it is so weird. It's like I've been trying to wrap my head around it for the longest time. I'm like, oh, is it because we're illegitimate, or is it because like I'm just the youngest? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I I bet the young part has a lot to do with it too. I'm because sure it does. I distinctly remember like one of the first times I slept over with everyone. I think it was a Christmas Eve. This is pre-kids. And I remember it was like, where are we going to sleep? And Kendrick was giving the options. And I'm like, and I said, well, what are we going to do? He's like, well, I am the oldest. And I was like, oh, so do we get the best room? Like, I was like, yes, I married the oldest sibling. So like, I will reap the rewards (laughs) of this. Because I know. And so, yeah, I was kind of happy to take advantage of it. I got to be honest. I didn't think like, oh, that must suck for Sadie. (laughs) Yeah, and it will never end. Like, I'll be, like, 50 fucking years old, and, like, I'll still get the couch. <laughs> because... Well, at that point, that's at least fair, I'm not be 65. so much older, we can't sleep on a couch. Like, at that point, I don't think you should bitch about it, Sadie, because that, that only means that you are young and spry enough that you can sleep on a couch comfortably. The idea of sleeping on a couch now makes me want to vomit. Um, yeah, when I'm 50, I don't think I'll be sleeping any more comfortably on that couch than anybody else. Or we probably won't be sharing houses like that either. Oh, I hope we do. (laughs) What? Just kidding. Why would we need to do that? Because, okay, so this is actually a legit thing, like a legit fear that I have actually. Um, And it is surrounding the same idea of uh, like being single or being childless. So we are relating this all to the book. We're not just yes, talking about no. nothing. This is no, related. This, yes, is, okay. this is related to, I think, themes in this book. But um, so as the family gets larger, you know, Christmas gatherings, for example, become smaller and pe- more people are doing it at their own homes rather than with everybody else. And it is going to reach the point because Brian and I are A, in no hurry and B, have no strong desire to have children Mm -hmm. that we're just not going to have anybody to celebrate Christmas with because everybody's going to have their own little families and we are not going to have kids. We're not going to have like people to do this with. So like what – so to me – so this is what it is. It's to me – when I think about, like, my family, my family's still my siblings. Yeah, and your parents. That's, and my parents. That's my family. But yeah. I, it, there is a point where it's going to get to a point, and this happened to my mom, this happened to my dad, where your family changes from being your siblings to a, to being your kids and your kids' spouses, and, and it becomes that becomes the main family unit of your life. And that's good. That's not a bad thing. It's natural and it's 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 normal. But there's I do think about this all the time that there's going to be a point where everybody else's family unit has changed except for mine. And um, I get like emotional talking about it, actually. Yeah, I can tell. Um but I think well, it's, just so you I know, I will always <laughs> want to spend holidays like even like there's going to be my parents and then the rest of the time is going to be spent, you know, with with you guys, whoever can be there, like with your parents, like we would do the same thing. So we're I always have a commitment to that. 
Yeah, I know. It just, it just, it does change. But I see. Though. Yeah, I see. Change is hard. Yeah, and it's, it's like, um, for me, it's just like the, because I'm the youngest, it, it's, and because of also like just my personal life choices, um, my transition is just a lot later than everybody yeah. else's. So, well, and it's got to be hard. I mean, you're the only one who doesn't live here either. You know, I'm sure that that's been really hard this, you know, since you guys moved. I know how hard it is to be so far away. And I didn't have a similar situation, but I know how hard it is. Like, so that probably adds to it. Yeah, there's just I think I think like Jean has um, I related to Jean a lot because of this that feeling of like loneliness Mm -hmm. and like it's not that the loneliness is anybody's fault like it's not her sister's fault that her sister has like a life and a family and like yeah exactly like state like and i think it was nicely portrayed it doesn't come off like jean really resents her no not at all it's like she doesn't resent her as a person i think she resents the situation which i think is understandable but i never saw i never got a sense of like they weren't like the sister wasn't painted out to be, um, you know, like not a good person either. So I thought that was nice because it's just a shitty situation. I mean, she should get to live her own life. So should Jean, but her mom obviously needs someone to help her. And it's, and you know, and their dad abandoned them. Like it's a, it's not a great situation and it's kind of hard to say who, who handles it wrong or right. You know, I think it does, it does a nice job of pointing that out. I think, I think so too. And then also, um, like Jean's age is such a factor. Like I, I can't remember the chapter, but there are so many times where she, you know, she talks about somebody making some comment about like life being over after 35 and she like really strongly resents that statement you know because it means that like her life is over you know I resent that stuff so much it's still it's not like it was then but it is still it's just so damaging well it's it's especially damaging because I think you know this this book has a lot to do with like women's roles and like reproduction and our like kind of responsibility and I shouldn't say just women but like people with uteruses and like the way that we're treated as kind of like commodity based off of our fertility and Mm -hmm. um you know like the the damned if you do damned if you don't you know like the way that the Gretchen has fear of, like, retaliation and of judgment from society because she has this baby out of wedlock and the stress that she gets from that. And then also the stress and judgment and retaliation that Jean gets from having an abortion and also from not being able to have kids after and how her value as a woman in society significantly drops and people think that's, like, and herself, too, I think until she's seen, she sees that there's more for her, like, that it's over. Like, if she can't yeah. have kids, she's too old, what's the value in that? Men are going to want to settle down and have a family. Like, she just, it feels like she's just treated by society that she has nothing to offer. Well, the book does a good job, too, of showing, like, not just because of what she had to endure, but just the fact that she's an unwed woman 
yeah. brings down her value. Like the fact that she's not attached to a man, like, and it shows it in not just with Jean. I mean, the fact that, you know, after her father abandons them, um, he, for like other women, like a whole nother life, they move because Jean's mother is so like ashamed and they're all talked about. And it's mm-hmm. like the guy left yeah, and you're shaming this woman because he left instead of rallying around and like sympathizing, empathizing, helping like, yep. and it's just, you know, so her stock automatically goes down when her husband leaves her, you know, yeah. Jean has no stock because she's unmarried. She's a spinster, you know, it's like, it's just, I mean, Gretchen, her stock kind of literally goes down too. When she goes and moves in with Martha she goes mm-hmm. from living like a very cu- comfortable life to living in squalor. Yeah. And Martha teaches, and, but is an artist. And like, so hers goes down in both ways. Like, it's just an interesting, it just points out kind of this, how women were tied to men mattered so much. I mean, it yeah. still does. Yeah. Well, But then also, like, I think that there is an interesting contrast of, of like, at the same time, I think a lot of, like, the the uh, acceleration or, like, the status she has, not that she has, like, an exceptionally high status by any means, but, like, in her career. She's the respected. Fact that she's respected in her career, and she's had the time yeah. to do it. And so much yeah. of, like, and when you think about that historically, a lot of that is because she doesn't have to worry. She doesn't have to worry about getting pregnant and yeah. because how many times in fucking history have women been denied promotions because men are just like well she's just gonna get pregnant and oh, she's unreliable yeah. or she's gonna leave and she's gonna just go home to take care of the kids or she needs to go home and take care of the kids and um so there's there's also this question of like she, yeah she's being like valued less by society but also like well, if she had settled down and gotten married and had those kids, yeah. she probably wouldn't be where she's at with her career. Yeah. And um, it's like it's just this stupid fucking choice that women have historically had to make in a way. Like it's like, oh, you're either like you either have a career or you have a life. And I think that yep. that is such a unfortunate and um belittling kind of thing that women have got had to go through and well, we we seem yeah. to judge still no matter what decision you make you know if you don't work it's i think mm-hmm. there's judgment there and if you do work there's judgment like everyone you know it's just we haven't made much progress there either i mean it's better yeah. but it's better but at the same time it's it's like it's still just not okay <laughs> Like, I I have a I have a coworker, um, who is an incredible attorney. Um, luckily, none of my coworkers listen to this podcast, <laughs> but I will just say she's um, an incredible coworker. She's a fabulous attorney, and yet she is still the number one person in her family. Like the the number one person responsible for her family, and um, and her children, and getting them dinner and everything, and that mm-hmm. that is something that is the case 
no matter what is happening at work. She could be in the middle of trial and she still wouldn't be able to come in early or leave late because her husband isn't willing to adjust his schedule to get home at a certain time to make the kids dinner. Mm. Yeah. Right? So it's it's this like this kind of situation where it is like she is doing this like incredible thing and there's still not any flexibility on like or support from the other side and it it's i mean it's it's women are like working two full-time jobs no matter what they're doing <laughs> yep no it's true it's totally true. I used to say that all the time. Be like, okay, well, I'm leaving work now to go home to my other job. Mm-hmm. Because it is. It's just two jobs. I mean, they're great jobs, but yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely a lot. And this book made me think a lot about that of just like the the types of difficulties and responsibilities that are often placed on women that like men – don't really have to deal with as much. And I'm not saying that, like, no man has ever had to be the caretaker for his, like, parents or anything. That's definitely not the case. Um, But I just think, like, the pressure or the fact that this responsibility just kind of, like, automatically goes onto Jean without Mm -hmm. question is um, definitely frustrating. And it's, like, frustrating that she can't, even be away for like longer than eight hours, you know, like I, that's just kind like, of the hard thing. The whole scene where her and her mom go on like vacation yeah. and like they're at that hotel and she sees that other mother and daughter. And I thought those were, that was such a great like affecting scene and mm-hmm. not over. Cause at first I was like, it, it didn't seem, you know, at, at that point you're kind of heavy in the plot of like what's happening and it didn't necessarily have much to do with that part of the, you know, of the plot, but it was just so well done. And I thought it was such a good look into their relationship and like Jean's outlook on her future and her, you know, capabilities, like what she could have and not have. And like to then to be confronted with that other mother and daughter who seem like worse off in a way, but like that's Jean's future. It's almost like she was getting a, you know, visit from the ghost of the future. Yeah. And and I thought it was just really well done and affecting and without much happening. You know, it's not like these big, crazy moments happened. It just it just was very real. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, it, it made me sad, too. You know, like, I can't remember which scene it is, but it's it's a time when she's, I think she stays out a little later with Howard or something. And she says that. Oh, yeah, um, and her mom gets hurt yeah and you know she's like oh I really need to be home but like maybe one more hour or like Mm -hmm. two or something and then it's it's like she allows herself like this one thing like this like two hours you know like there's this tiny amount of two hours out of her whole life Yeah. yeah and then something bad happens and and then it like feels like it's just all on her you know and then like you know, her mom goes to the hospital and is in the hospital. And then it's like all this stuff is happening to her mom. And her mom almost seems like she's getting worse, like mentally, 
Like she's getting more unstable, it feels like to her. And and it seems like it's so tied to this like hospital visit and this sense of guilt that like, oh, if only like I'd been home, this wouldn't have happened. She wouldn't be in the hospital. She wouldn't be deteriorating like this. And it's just all this pressure that she puts on herself. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the big thing that I took through from the book was kind of just that to ruminate on that idea of how much so, like self-sacrifice is worth um, like t- when it conflicts with your personal freedom. Like yeah. what is the balance? What is, what is too much? Um, right. And I just, I really enjoyed that question throughout the book. Yeah. Cause that's definitely something I think about a lot and, I think that it, she just captures it so well. And I thought that scene with them on holiday, as well as when they're at the hospital, you really kind of see how long she's been kind of in this self-denial that she really doesn't have any personal freedom. And, but then, right, I think when she kind of starts to feel like I can have more personal freedom, you know, boom, that happens. And she's just horrified. Yeah. That this could, you know, and, and realizing like she's upset, but then also realizing I, there goes my personal freedom. Like right when she's in the midst of finding Mm -hmm. what she's been looking for, like just what a, what a shitty feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think it like, you know, like we talked a little bit last time about how you and I didn't really necessarily feel like this ending was super sad or like distressing you know but like it, yeah I mean, I mean it's, I definitely it's, it's sad, sad but I didn't find I didn't think it made it a bad like I I mean because I guess I'm not necessarily looking for that happy ending yeah and I also so think, I think if you're yeah I also think that like one of the main themes of the book is also just like appreciating kind of what's around you and the, like those small pleasures and like taking mm-hmm. just stock of like just everyday kind of um interactions we have with people that we care about um and I think that in some ways like that ending and the fact that this kind of like beautiful thing in her life is is taken away with Howard like I think in some ways and this is kind of a sad way to look at it but I think it just actually makes all the moments and experiences that she had prior to that feel more precious and like yeah well I mean it's like what's worse to have never had that with Howard yeah or to have had it and then lost it like which is worse really because I think it's almost more sad that she never would have I think so experienced too. absolutely that. like I think I think it's okay that it ended ends the way that it did and I'm just happy that she got to feel that way and also I think it taught her and it like, and this is, I think, a really important lesson, too, of the book, is that it's not necessarily ever too late for anybody. Like, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't end the way you want, even if it doesn't, like, give you that, quote-unquote, happy ending that you're wanting, it's never still too late to try, and it's never Mm -hmm. too late to experience, like, part of that life that you want. And now she knows that she can have this relationship and she can have these connections with people and that people do care for her and she does have a lot to offer. And she 
is an awesome person and she's lovable and she's um, worthy of that love. And even though, you know, Gretchen doesn't get her happy ending either. Nope. But she still is another example of like, well, it it wasn't too late. She still was able, you know, she's been holding on to this relationship um, secretly, clutching it to her chest and holding all of this inside, all of these feelings inside for so long. And you would think, oh, well, she's that this deep into this relationship and this um, marriage and life that she would never, ever make the decision to, like, live her truth. But she still does. And, yes, there are consequences. There's fallout from that. But she still is able to make that decision later in life. And I think that that, even though it doesn't end well for either of them, really, I think that it's important that it happened. I agree. Because it proves it can happen. And I and yeah. that's something I appreciated and liked. Yeah, I agree. I liked it too. I really, really enjoyed this book. Um, I did too. Yeah, I think it's up in my top. Like, if we had to go over like a top five or top ten, like I'd have to read through the list again to remember <laughs> all the ones we've done. But like, I really, really enjoyed it. I did too. It was a, it was a yeah. good pick. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad that the ending didn't ruin it for me, like it did so many people. I still don't understand like how people can just read books and always expect a happy ending. Like that's just not how it works. But yeah, <laughs> no, no. There's, there's I mean, no I don't need endings. like. No, no. It was real. I thought it was great. I really liked the book. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, are you reading or watching anything else right now? So I finished. Um, so as for books, I don't know, you've probably read it, um, but I'm just starting, um, The Book of Longings by Sue Monk Kidd. No, I didn't read that. I've read one of her other books. I know she did like The Secret Life of Bees and I never read that, but. Okay. And I read it and I didn't love it. Okay. So I think that's probably why I haven't read this one because it's like one I don't you know what I mean I was like eh yeah this one so this one the like the plot was more interesting to me um because it's like about a woman who uh like was married so it's so weird but it like it doesn't feel like it's not it's not like a religious novel but it's about a woman who is married to Jesus like of Nazareth, you know, like the Mm. Jesus. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just in case anybody, just in case anybody was confused when he said Jesus, Nazareth, it's the Jesus, the Jesus. (laughs) Oh, Lordy. But like, it's like supposed to be about like her being married to him. And like her brother is Judas or something. I, I do think I've heard of this. Okay. I, I, I've heard really good things about it, but I have not read it. I'm only literally like 20 pages in, so I can make no assessment or judgment of it yet. Um, but that's what I just started. And then as far as like TV goes, um, I watched all of the dropout. I loved it. It was so good. And then I've been watching as like the new episodes are released, The Girl from Plainville. Nice. Yeah. What about you? 
Um, I just finished a collection of short stories called Sabrina and Karina by Kali. I can't ever pronounce it. It's like Fajora Asteen mm-hmm. and really loved it. So, so good. It's like all set in like the Den- Denver area. Um, and it's like centered around women, different women in different stories and different situations. Um, and they're all like Hispanic and Native American. Um, and it's, re- it's really good. It's set in like present day and they're really good stories, like really affecting. I really enjoyed it. I was going to think I thought about doing it for the podcast, but yeah. we already kind of did a short stories and the um, Cassandra at the wedding I really want to do. So, yeah. but anyway, it's really good. I really recommend it. Um, and then I just started to reread Song of the Lark by Willa Cather. Oh, cool. I haven't read that one. Oh, love that one. Um, and then so I got really hooked on The Dropout. I watched all the episodes of The Dropout. Yeah. And I'm on the the one about the WeWork. I can't remember what it's called, but it's with um, Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway. So oh. all these like scam scam stories. Um, okay. Yeah, I, so I, I feel like those. I've seen like previews of that and stuff. I just kind of like can't stand Jared Leto, so I have a hard time. Yeah, I just have he's a hard interesting. Time Anne Hathaway is stunning in this. She's so beautiful. I actually think she does a pretty good job. There's. Sometimes I think it's a little overacted, but I don't I don't think it really it I don't know. I really It's good. It's entertaining. I, I really like Anne Hathaway. I think Jared Leto is like a fine actor. I just think he's like a douchebag. Yeah, he probably is. She's good. She's good in this. I think you'd like it. It's on Apple TV. Okay. Um you won't give me I would watch it, but like you won't give me your password because I have yet Not to watch Picard or whatever. <laughs> no, I'm I'm so disappointed. I've given my email and password out to that station to okay, like three different people and so, no one is watching it. Okay, this is this is my chief complaint. Okay. The platform, like the app of Paramount Plus is shit. So, uh, whatever. Um no. It's worth it. Who ca- what is okay. the big deal? No, it's, this what's, is what's this so bad is, about it. This is my problem is, like, the search feature doesn't work. Like, I went in there, and I literally searched Star Trek, and nothing came up, even though I I've know never s- all of Star uh, okay. Trek is I think on this it. may be user error, because I have never had an issue, and I am far more technologically inept than you are. I did it, but and I've never Brian had an issue had with this, so this is a personal problem. I did it, That doesn't and mean Brian. I'm wrong. You two live together He's in so a relationship together. It He's makes sense you would both still have that issue. I'm betting you anything. This is user error. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not subscribing to this. I just think the platform is trash, but <laughs> I will work harder. I will keep trying. I just Thank get sick you. of not being able to use the search feature. I don't know. Maybe I need to update the app. I don't know, but it's annoying, yeah, and it logs me out every time. I, every time I go in, I have to. Again, re- th- this add never the happens again. with. With with me, so I don't know what. Well, it must be nice. Oh, I guess so. That's no, funny. I will try All right, again. Well. I will try again. But let it be known that my issues are not with Star Trek. It is with the app Paramount Plus. Okay, noted. Okay. Oh, and I took my kids to see Sonic Two. <laughs> that How'd was a that scintillating go? hour and forty five minutes, or however long. I don't know. It was actually, it was funny to watch them watch it. Yeah. Because uh, they really enjoyed it. And there were some, like, adult jokes 
Yeah. You know, so there was, there was like, I mean, even if they something. weren't that funny, they were there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was fine. It was cute. Whatever. That's cute. Um, what did you think about the ending of the dropout? Like, okay. Well, so actually, actually let's like, did you listen to the podcast? I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. Did you, did you listen to the podcast then? Yes. So I'm just, my curiosity is like, do you think she's a sociopath? Because I think she's like, she's something. She's like delusional. She's crazy. I think she's yeah, straight I, I up think, capable of killing someone. Like, I think she's crazy. I, yeah, I think she's a very, yeah, I, I, there's something there. There's something there. But I liked, I liked how the show, I thought it did a good job of still making it, like, kind of still pointing out the sexism that she endured and how that definitely played a part, but not letting anything she did like she was never let off the hook. I think it put just as much focus on her own choices. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it. Yeah. Like she's still responsible for the issues that like for the stuff that she did and the stuff that she okayed and like the lies that came out of her company, like that were never acceptable. But also like, I think exactly what you said of um, just the, the, the kind of like, lack of um I don't want to say she had a lack of opportunities because she's very privileged but she also like she was doubted a lot in some ways Mm -hmm. but for me too though it's I also thought it was really interesting seeing the way that she used sexism as an excuse and as a shield to oh, get yeah. away I mean, with she used it things. to her advantage. Yeah. But yeah, it was, I thought it did a nice back and forth. And I liked all the actors in it. I thought Amanda Seyfried did a good job. She I love the guy that plays Sonny. I, Naveen Andrews, he was my favorite on Lost. I know. He's uh, so good. And then I really like the girl that played, I think Erica's her name, the whistleblower. Yes. She's so good. And I love the guy who played George Schultz. What's his name? I cannot remember his name, but he is fantastic. Sam Waterston. Yes. And I love William H. Macy. And I love, I can't remember her name, but she played the, the professor and she used to be in Roseanne. And I just love her. I think it's Lori. Yeah. Something like that. Yes. I just think she's great. I loved all the other actors in it. Yeah, they did a fantastic job. And I liked that it was shorter and I liked that it ended where it ended. Like I like I like that it ends with like that unraveling, but like it doesn't hit the trial or like any of yeah. that kind of stuff. It just ends with it just where it really where th- it ends with Theranos ending and I thought that was um yeah, cool. Oh, and I loved the guy that played uh, so sad when he killed himself. Oh. Ian Griffin, I think is his name. I love that actor too. I know he's so good. Steve, well, it was good. Yeah. Um. Have you? Are you gonna watch the girl from Plainville? The it's what? The so the it's a, another Hulu series. It has Elle Fanning. It's the girl from Plainville, and it's oh, about. The, I don't think so because I watched that pod or I listened to the podcast and I listened to it all and I the story was interesting enough, but I. Don't know if I really am interested in seeing a film representation of it. 
I totally get that. I do think, though, that, like, Elle Fanning is giving one of the best acting performances ever. Really? Like, I think she's... I don't she's, think she's that great of an actress. She's doing a really killer job in this. Um Especially, like, the first episode. The first episode, there's this scene at the end that I was just kind of floored by. And I think it's just a great moment of television, period. Um, But you have to, like, like Elle Fanning, which Mm. I I do really like her. So I I was, like, floored by this scene at the end of the movie. But... um, it's good. I, I just find it so interesting. Like, I feel like there's been so many shows lately that have been, like, about, like, female criminals. And oh, yeah. Well, it's and like, like boom, scamming boom, in boom. general. Yeah, it's been, like, Anna well, and, like, the scams. There's that one show that's about the Uber guys. It's on Showtime. I can't, I can't oh. remember what it's called. But it's about the guys that started Uber. Oh, I haven't heard about that. I haven't even heard about yeah. it. Um, yeah, I know. It is interesting. Yeah, that's all I've been. I'm excited for some movies that are about to come out. One that I'm really looking forward to is The Northman. Oh, I saw a preview for that the other day with Alexander Skarsgård and Skarsgård. Nicole yeah. Kidman. And um, there's like some, I think like Willem Dafoe's in it or something too. It's by the same guy who did like The Lighthouse and The Witch. and um, I don't know what either of those are. Oh, it's like, okay. Well, you don't really like scary movies, do you? No. Are they scary? No, I don't like Like, why would you watch scary movies? I don't understand. I don't understand. I love them. Scary movies are Why? The best. Like, why do you enjoy being afraid? Like, I don't, I just don't get an adrenaline um, rush from being afraid. Do you like roller coasters? See, that's the thing. That's like, I, I don't really. The only roller coasters I like are like the ones at Disneyland. Like Space Mountain... Okay. Thunder Mountain Railroad. Those are my kind of roller coasters. Like, I don't even want to do the one on the other side where it goes, like, goes around. Like, I don't like those rides. And I don't like being afraid. I don't like haunted houses. I don't <laughs> like horror movies. All my risk ability purely goes into my riding horses. Like, that is where it all goes. Like, because that is crazy when you think about it, what I do. Yes. But that's where all the risk goes. And so I have nowhere else I have nothing left to give anything else. So well, I am so not into any of the, that. The best part about um, scary movies is that it's all pretend. So but you, I, it's but like you, you still get, get to, those feelings. Do you not get like you still get that? Yeah, like, but there's a sense of security in the fact that, you know, no. there's nothing coming out of the TV to come get you. But it, it's cr- I know that logically, but it's like <laughs> it's just creepy. Like I, I don't need to watch a movie about a serial killer clown. OK, that well, lives in a okay. sewer like. Or okay. or freaking what's another? Uh, those hills has eyes like hills have okay, eyes or I whatever. I agree like, with th- that. Oh, all right, I will I will agree that um, when it comes to scary movies, I do just like the horror genre in general. I've always really liked horror. Like it's yeah, like my favorite movie when I was five was What Lies Beneath with Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford. But like you watched that when you were five? Oh yeah. Okay, this explains, so do you know that your dad had, Lachlan was watching Night of the Grizzly or something of the Grizzly, where it's like, I guess it's this super scary movie about a grizzly bear. 
He was watching like, it with Lachlan. Yes. And he's like scared of it, but like wanted to keep watching it is what your dad said. And like, okay, that's a very young movie for you to be wa- or like scary movie for five years old. Oh, I, so it's funny because I, I just like, I loved scary movies. I loved being scared. And so I would beg my mom like to let us watch it because they would watch scary movies in the background and like, we would just sure. like, we're there. And so I just, I loved it. And, um, my mom, like my grandpa Stevens had a huge VHS collection and, mm-hmm. um, we would go and like borrow and I like really wanted her to borrow what lies beneath. And I was like, I was five. I think I was five or six. I think I was like maybe first grade. Yeah. And, I mean, it makes sense. And my grandpa was like, I don't know. Actually, Liz, Callan like, asks about seeing scary movies too. Yeah, I just don't like, let him. Well, okay. well and right. also like the standard of what's scary is like different when you're a certain age. Well, but, but like, yeah. I mean, I remember watching like, going to see Harry Potter in theaters, like the Sorcerer's Stone, mm-hmm. and being pretty freaked out by Voldemort. Like, I remember, like, Brian and I, like, not Brian, Stuart and I, holding hands, like, and he was squeezing my hand, like, so hard because he was more <laughs> scared than I was. Um, but, no, I, I love horror movies. All I read in elementary school were, like, R.L. Stein horror. Oh, not, I hated those books. Not just Goosebumps. Like, I read, like, the mm-hmm. more adult ones, and I did not like those. Oh, I loved them. I was obsessed. Scary books I, were my favorite. I remember being at a sleepover. I think I must have been like third or fourth grade, maybe. Yeah, I I want to say I don't know. I'm so bad at, at that kind of thing, but um, and being the only one there that didn't want to watch Tales from the Crypt. Uh-huh. and watch scary movies and I'm like I am miserable I hate this because I'm totally outvoted and I did not I did not enjoy Aww. it and I know it's not real like I'm not like and I didn't have like nightmares I just don't enjoy that feeling yeah that I get while watching them despite the fact that I can say Audra what you are feeling is illogical I don't want to feel it <laughs> like you I know, don't I know that I can fair. tell myself that but I don't want to feel it I, like, I'm just a wimp that's that way that's fair when it comes to me with horror movies at this point I don't really like them anymore unless they're horrifying for a good reason. Like it can't just like <laughs> like what is and a I, good reason. Okay. Oh, um, like it lends to the story. Like it lends to the story. The story's strong, or like that there's some other kind of like s- something that's freakier than a jump scare. That's what I want. Okay. So like okay, okay like a great movie that I love that is terrifying. Um, in my opinion, it's not really jump scary at all. It's just like really uncomfortable. Um, it's hereditary, and I haven't heard of that. It is so good, and it's a it's like a movie about. I mean, I just like in general, there's like Satanism, like demon worship, possession in there, but it's not like possession in the way of like the Catholic view of possession of, like, a demon. It's it's more just, like, them worshiping an old god or old demon or something. But, yeah. like, but that's, like, not even until the end. Like, that is background shit. But the scariest parts are just, like, freaky shit that happens to them. It's about mental illness, really. It's about, like, crazy fucking parents and crazy fucking kids. And yeah. 
and grief and but there's this one scene that is the scariest scene like it is so fucking uncomfortable and so freaky and scary spoilers for hereditary this like there's this older brother and a younger daughter and his the younger daughter is like really fucking creepy something's off with her we've known this the whole time something's off with her but she has like a lot of health issues and she has um really really severe nut allergies yeah and he's going to a party and his mom makes him take his little sister to the party and he just tells her to like go socialize go have a piece of cake just like calm down i just want to go smoke a bowl and so he he goes and gets like super high in this room and she goes and has a slice of cake and the cake has nuts in it and she starts having an allergic reaction and they don't have an EpiPen. And so he's like super high out of his mind and freaking out and she stops breathing like she cannot breathe. He carries her, he puts her in the back of the car and then he's racing home or to the hospital or whatever is, is nearest. And it gets to the point where she's in the backseat and he's like crying and he's trying to get to her to safety. And she starts struggling to breathe. She's clawing at her neck and it's like very creepy every the way it's happening. She rolls down the window. She sticks her head out to try to get air. And all of a sudden there's a deer in the road. He swerves and her head gets decapitated on a fucking electricity pole on the side of the road. <laughs> And then the cut, and then he realizes, he stops, he backs up the car, or he he does, he does just stops, he doesn't back up the car. He just, like, doesn't move, he's, like, crying, and he just looks in the, wind, in the rear view min- window to see what happened, and he sees what happened, and it's awful, and then he starts driving five miles per hour home. He goes home, and he just goes to bed, and the whole scene is just him laying in bed with his eyes wide open, tears streaming down his face, no sounds, and then in the background, you hear the commotion of the house when they go to the car the next morning, and they find the decapitated body in the back of the car. And then the rest of the movie is the fallout of all of that. And it's fucking crazy. And it is such a good movie, but it is so disturbing for the reasons that I have just said, but like also like 10 other reasons. It's so good. Uh, I'll just take your word for it. I, I also. You gave me such a good description. I don't need to see it. Okay. And I don't want to see it. That doesn't sound... I don't enjoy those things. It would make you feel really bad. <laughs> like, like if, like... Yeah, and I don't want to feel bad. <laughs> I don't need help feeling bad. Like, but, like, you know I mean? I, but I will say, like, the acting is so good. And I think, like, the thing that I also really like about just, like, genre fiction sometimes, too, and with, like, genre movies especially, is that they all are commenting on each other. Like, when you're, like, when you're within a genre... You're aware of the other things that are already in your sure. genre, like, and I think yeah. sci-fi comments on sci-fi a lot, and like, um, there are certain themes that like carry throughout different genres of of film, and I think horror is such a fun genre because like there's the general 
creepy stuff that it explores, but I think like there's always so much room for it to be super playful and for it to like be really metaphorical. And I think that's that's fun. That's why I like horrors. I think like yeah, it's just supposed to make you uncomfortable. But I think like it's I think it's good to to feel uncomfortable sometimes to be like out of your comfort zone. That's why I really like it. That's valid too. See, I mean, I feel like we both have really good points, and we can just both have have, have our really good points. Yeah, you you uh, challenge yourself emotionally in like other ways, like actually, yes, like and well, and as far as fear and bravery go, you actually go physically put yourself <laughs> at risk and are yeah, badass. I, I, while I you use do it, it all. I use it all up there, so <laughs> I don't have any more to give. Uh, well, really good pick, Sadie. I really, really, really like this book. So if you guys didn't get a chance to read it, please do. Even though we talked all about it, it's really a great read. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. So definitely recommend this is up there on our top list. Um, so again, next book, Cassandra at the Wedding by Dorothy Baker. Um, we'll have two episodes over that. Um, so thanks again for listening. Yeah. This has been a fun one to discuss. So hope to talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.